Monday, November 12th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 184 of the 5049 Podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thanks for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician today. That musician is saxophonist, uh, electronic artist, composer, Sam Weinberg. Let's have a listen. Crazy shit. This conversation was just recorded a couple weeks ago down here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And uh, it's a good one. Today, another conversation with another tenor saxophonist. Today, Sam Weinberg. Before we get into it, a bit of business. Are you digging the show? Are you enjoying the 5049 podcast? If so, please consider becoming uh, a donor to the podcast. You uh, you go to patreon.com slash 5049 podcast. You sign up you, you for a monthly pledge amount. And uh, at any level you sign up, you will gain access to the entire 5049 podcast archive. Which, uh, after next week, will be the entirety of the first run. Right now, the last episode of the first run of the podcast that is still available on iTunes is that last episode. So if you want to hear conversations with um, Mary Halverson, Chris Speed, uh, William Parker, Ava Mendoza, Fred Frith, uh, the list goes on and on. Chess Smith, Jim Black. Um, you're going to want to become a Patreon donor. That's how you access those uh, those those past episodes. And uh, I can assure you that every bit of help helps a lot. So do that. Today, Sam Weinberg. What do you guys know about Sam? He's young. He's 26. Uh, and he, you know, is of a, a current crop of, of young improvisers taking the city by storm. I think I've made a pretty good effort to uh, bring in a lot of the, the young cats onto the show. Uh, certainly Michael Foster, Brandon Lopez, uh, Leila Boudre, Lester St. Louis. Um, I, I, I'm having them come through, and it's been fun. And uh, Sam's pretty unique. As tenor players go, uh, I think he's really got something that's that's coming together and and uniquely his. I saw him do a pretty incredible uh, trio concert over the summer with um, the percussionist Michael Evans and trumpet player Joe Moffitt. It was incredible. Uh, in addition to the saxophone, um, as you heard at the top of the show, Sam also does a lot of uh, electroacoustic composition, improvisation, um, and he's building up a, a, a nice discography, broad range of stuff. He's got a duo with the guitar player Chris Welcome called W2. He's got a trio called Blore with uh, guitarist Andrew Smiley and drummer Jason Nazary. He stays busy. Uh, he stays real busy, and he's a really nice and curious guy. And as you'll hear today, uh, he first started... Uh, finding his way to to this music um, at a very young age. And uh, it's a good story, he tells. If you want to find out more about Sam Weinberg, uh, go to samweinbergsax.wordpress.com. samweinbergsax.wordpress.com. 
he uh, check him out. Sounds cool. Uh, and that's it. Hope you guys are all doing well. Hope your week is off to a good start. Here's my conversation with Sam Weinberg. <laughs> So she sent me email meet Josh, and it's like, um, but it didn't, and it was like, Josh is a graduate student at Columbia, and he got his undergraduate in English. He's also a musician. I was like, I really don't want to. No. Like, especially, because it could just be like some Craigslist motherfucker. Or yeah, something. or just some fucking wanker who's like, whatever, living with musicians kind of blows. Yeah, exactly. It's already tough with people that I like. Yeah, um, exactly, who play cool instruments. Yeah, yeah. So, um... This motherfucker, like, so it says, and, not, and he's like, you would really appreciate if, if we could, if you guys could call him to talk. And I was what like, are you talking about? I'm not calling someone. <laughs> right. So, but I, but I did say, I was like, okay, Josh, what's your, what's your number? Here's mine. And that was Sunday morning. Did you even have a last name for him? Could you go to like Facebook? No, 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 like... no. I would have, which I would have right. done. Um, but <laughs> I went to the Seabrook show at Roulette on Monday and no word from him all Sunday or all Monday. Okay. At like... I was at Hank's Saloon, you know, that shitty bar yeah, across the street. Yeah, right across from that. Yeah. So we were at Hank's, and I get a text from him. He's like, with like really weird punctuation, that's like, hey, man, like seven dots. I'm here with the keys. Like, I've moved in. And none of us had known anyone was moving in. Didn't even talk to him. Didn't talk to him at all. Don't met him. Nothing. And I come home, and like this like gigantic, this huge fat guy is like sitting on the chair. He's, and he's got like all these tattoos, and I notice some track marks. He's a junkie. He's a junkie, or yeah. I mean, I and I surmised that. But I was kind of impressed when I, when it was confirmed that he was a junkie at, at how quickly I was able to identify it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but when he, he had also sent me a friend request, and we had like twenty five mutual friends, like oh, like your worst friends. No, no, cool like people, people like Bill Orcutt and Joe Morris and okay. John Weiss and like yeah, good guitar players. Yeah, and uh, and like noise people and and uh-huh. and, um, and like like my friend John Lipscomb, who's like not like not someone that receives like random friend. You know, he's like okay. a guitar player, and I was like. So when I got home after he had texted me, I was like, I was kind of wasted. I got home from Hanks and we had been partying like Seabrook and everything. And then I, I was like, again, trying to be really nice. I was like, because I didn't, I you know, I was like, hey man, how's it going? Like I noticed we had sorry you're into noise and whatever. And he was like, you know, man, like whatever. It's like it's noise or it, I'm really into Paramore. Like, <laughs> like I think it's like a hot topic, you like bad. Or yeah, yeah. I, did, uh, <laughs> I was like, whoa, something's not right. And then the next day he was asleep until four. In the oh, afternoon, is he like a bartender or something? No, he has no job. <laughs> and uh, so, which of in and of itself is a disqualifying. Yeah, I mean, he uh, allegedly goes to Columbia, and I and that first night I was like, so how's Columbia? Did you just start there or whatever? And he was like, oh, I'm actually in the third year of a two year master's program. So another like red flag. And uh-huh. uh, <laughs> so basically, like. Will was really freaked out, most the most freaked out, because at least I had gotten a text from this guy saying that he was going to be there, but he wasn't. Yeah, he was weird. He was just weird, like the Paramore, the Paramore thing, and I was just kind of, I was wasted, so I was like, you know, whatever, go to sleep. He's already moved in. He'd moved in, with the assumption that he was going to be living there for eleven months. He signed an agreement with our names on it, with the girl and the landlord's name that we had no idea about at all. Um, so. I talked, I called the landlord. I was like, Hey man, you know, you got to help me with this. This is fucked up. Like I told you when she emailed you that she was going to sublet that. Oh, it's cool. That like, we didn't want this to happen. And like, 
the the lease says you need to give written consent, which, as far as we know, you haven't done. And he's like, I'm friends with everybody. I'm not going to get involved. Well, and like, okay. and I was like, and he really likes me because I'm Jewish. Um, yeah, right, right. But like, he's like, I'm friends with everyone. If she wants to sublet, it's your problem. Like, I'm not going. You know, and it's like, yeah. dude. He's like, change the locks, kick them out. That's and and good, so, that's a good answer. right. And so, and so he's he's like, but talk to a lawyer. And so, I so. The Jewish thing I've ever heard. But this, the, the guy, but at this point, we didn't know. I was kind of feeling really uncomfortable being in the apartment because yeah. I didn't know if, if he, the guy was going to steal my shit. So I was leaving everywhere with my laptop and my tenor. Like, just, I, I felt like I was homeless or something. You know, like, right. I was displaced from, from my- Your own house. Yeah, where I've lived for four years. And, close to it. And, um- you know, thought this guy was dangerous because I have a another e- almost equally crazy story about witnessing a really close friend of mine who I was living with have a full on mental breakdown, like F- the FBI's in the apartment vibe. That really? was that was his delusion. Like they weren't actually in the apartment. No, no, but that was what he thought, and that was a whole other thing. So, and that happened at late at night, uh-huh. and so like I do in a similar setup of a different apartment, but similar like railroad hallway, and this dude was just pacing, like screaming. Breaking. You lived with him at the time. Yeah, I was, I was in my room. And so I, I do, I think I've realized recently that I do have a little bit of PTSD surrounding that occasion. Um, I mean, roommates are the worst. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. So is this guy gone now? No, because we got this lawyer. I mean, to make a long story short, we got the lawyer. We tried to tell this girl, Molly, the one who had moved in, you know, to that this guy was a junkie. or And we saw all these Facebook posts of his, on, like, if we had been able to look at his Facebook all these references to doing skag in Madison Square Park with homeless people. Skag is heroin. Yeah. Okay. And then these progress reports that he would post from his, from like his a methadone clinic. Yeah, from his rehab facility, which is which were like insane. I mean, if he's trying to get clean, that's a good thing. But yeah, but it's not really my problem. Exactly. And he's a bad roommate, and uh, so he's he's still there. The one that's way the one way we were able to work it out with the girl. It all came down to seven hundred fifty dollars, literally the the cost of October's rent because. She, when we tried, we, mean, and we told him we were going to kick him out, but then I got a bad conscience, uh, yada, yada, yada. The only way it was able to work out, to make a long, longest story short, is that he stays to the end of the month. This Belgian drummer, Raf Vertessen, is moving in. Anyone will be, I mean, I know this guy, but, um, yeah. Um, so, but how, how's it been going with your roommate? It's horrible. I mean, he smells really bad. He somehow, what was really crazy was, though, this morning, I realized he had a woman over it. Really? He's still there. And his, he smells so bad, and, but she lit some Nag Champa. She, whoever, like, and so it smells a little better. But he's, you know, we kind of were able to get just, like, make an agreement with him that he's staying at the end of the month. He has to leave, obviously. So he knows that. He knows that yeah. very well. And, like, he's... And he's probably also irritable with the, the woman who... He hates her too, so we were able to identify thing. a common enemy with her. Well, that's important. Because, right, we didn't. I didn't want him to think, like... And I didn't want to kick him out and put his stuff in the hallway, which is what the lawyer kept saying. He was like, "Do it now, now, right. do." It. And I and I was like, "Man, it's like really it's pretty cold, right? It's really cold. and It's a hard thing to do." Yeah. Um, but you know, the thing about Nag Champa and Palo Santo and Patchouli, yeah, <laughs> are all really. I actually like all of those scents. Yeah, me too. And use them quite a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it they become really disgusting when they're in conjunction with a dirty. Dude, smelly no, person. dude, it masks it. This guy, I mean, I was, I was almost, I was gagging every time I was walking past his room. Just like intense body Just, odor. Yeah, his like, body odor. So the the nag champa was was good. It's helping. It's helping. And I've been, we've been burning 
like logs of fucking Palo Santo, like trying to, you know, pure. And I'm going to, I bought, I'm going to fucking smudge the shit out of that room with, when sage? He, with sage when he leaves, you know, before. And her, because this was some Rosemary's do, baby shit, man. Well, I mean, that's I'm, the thing. You got to do a space clearing. And the thing is, like, I was just talking about this shit with my sister yesterday. Like, man, the, my favorite place to be is at home. And there is no, you can't put a price tag on, like, the value of like a secure home where there's like just good vibes, you know, whatever vibes, you know, yeah. if you have a junkie coming and going like that, there's no way a home is going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, roommates are the worst. It's a tough institution. I mean, it's, it's the institution of roommates of roommates. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing. It can work well, but I mean, my place is so, is so big that it's always going to be four people. Yeah. Unless somehow I end up making twice as much money and can rent a second room, which never will happen. But, uh, it's yeah, it's it sucks because it. it I... Have you always had roommates since you left home? You know, with the exception of one year in college, yeah, yeah, I got well, <laughs> I had got I mid year a room in the nicest dorm opened up, a single, and I was living with another guy who was kind of getting on my nerves, so I just jumped on that. So for like six months of that, sophomore and wait, wait, year and so in college you shared a room with somebody, like beds in the same room. Freshman year, yeah. Second year, I had a divided. No, that's not true. I the th- whole third year I had a single too. Um, right. The second sophomore year, the first half of the year was a divided double, uh-huh. you know, like a door. It's uh-huh. like a wall, but it didn't have a door. It had a door frame, but no door. Kind of, kind of like this. If you right. just had a door frame. Um, and uh, where did you go to college? I went to a really small school in Annapolis, Maryland, called St. John's College. We can talk about that later. Really? It's a music school? No, 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 no music. What did you study there? Um, Everyone studies the same thing there. It's this uh, great books <laughs> kind of thing. It's like a so the guys who made the core curriculum at like Columbia and U Chicago. Mm-hmm. There was a big movement, intellectual movement of like Western canon in the late twenties and thirties, and so they they were like, oh, this is cool. Like, let's make people at these schools do like a quarter of their curriculum is like reading Plato and Aristotle and stuff, and they have to do that. Okay. So then in in nineteen the late thirties, these two guys who were part of those steering committees and like helped devise those programs um scott buchanan and stringfellow bar which is an amazing name uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> they were like let's just make a whole school like this where people have no choices at all and all they do is all disciplines of of like great books western canon stuff so it was, you, your degree is in literature or in english or? no it's in liberal arts um because i took four <laughs> years four years Does something usually fall under liberal yeah, arts? yeah 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 well Sort of. I mean, the, I think the classic, it's like a revival of a classical conception of the liberal arts oh. as distinct disciplines. So I took four years of math, but we read like Euclid in the freshman year and ended up reading Einstein. But it's all, so there are no textbooks. It's all like reading actual books. Actual books. So, so you, read the first papers that Leibniz and Newton invented calculus. So it's like an undergrad degree that leaves you like a well-rounded person, but not necessarily with a skill to earn a living. Yeah, yeah. It's a very generalist vibe and... Um, Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's and even most people don't even know what it is outside of academia. I mean, it's, a lot of people I went to school with are getting PhDs in philosophy or right. cl- classics. Or maybe whatever. that's a good place to start if that's what you're doing. Yeah, totally. It is, right. and it is, and it, it puts you. I mean, it, it it strongly avoids any of the um, trends in academia of, uh-huh. of any sort. Obviously, there's no like studies of particular peoples or whatever. The whole notion behind it, which might. But I actually don't really know how I feel about it now that I've been out for a little I mean, it must be a small school. Yeah, it's 425 people total. It sounds like some sort of like almost like monastic... Uh... Well, yeah, and it's even more so that in the 60s, they had they were 
the campus in Annapolis is bound by the water. You know, it's right across the street from the Naval Academy. So the, the campus can't really grow that much. And there are all uh-huh. these historical uh, strictures placed on people. They, they can't expand buildings and all the, most of the buildings are really old. The, the main building on the campus, there's like a quote of Thomas Jefferson's that says like, this is the own, McDowell Hall is the only worthwhile building in the state of Maryland or something. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, so wait, why did you go there? It just made a lot of sense to me. I mean, Based I, on what you had been interested in high school? Yeah. Um, like, it was kind of, yeah, I, I'd thought about, I, I mean, I'd thought about studying jazz or saxophone in some capacity. Like You played sax in high school? Oh, yeah. Tenor? I, yep. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like either going to NEC or CalArts or, um, and I went to visit Oberlin. I went there for three days when I was in high school, like, to see what, what was up with that. Um, because the cool thing about Oberlin would have been I could could have done both. Like mm-hmm. I was into books and I was into music, and but I hated it there. I just really, Why? I really didn't think like when I was in the classes, the academic classes, I just didn't. It seemed everyone was like on their computers, like playing Tetris, and people were showing up late, like obviously really stoned and oh, really? like playing with their skateboards on, under their feet. Did you stuff. go to public school growing up? Yeah, for the most part, uh-huh. uh, I went three years in LA in private school, but. Um, in middle school and late elementary school, but yeah, I'm public school. Mm-hmm. It just didn't sit well with me. And I think the thing about St. John's, I don't necessarily know if, and it's not a Catholic school for what it's worth. This is the name that's been passed on. Um, but it seemed to have a real sense of purpose that people mm-hmm. actually cared about what they were doing there. And it wasn't mm-hmm. like, it was the opposite of high school. insofar so far as people, um, like talking shit about what was going on in the, right. in the classes was very much discouraged. In fact, it was quite the opposite. It was like people were really serious about what they were doing. Yeah, and we would just always be talking about Wittgenstein or Heidegger or whatever all the time. You Not, knew all the materials. Yeah, before you even got to them, were going to be substantial and yeah. worthy of note. Exactly. Nothing. Right. Nothing there was frivolous. Right. It was really well designed, and I really liked the fact in, in the kind of monastic way you were talking about that. Um, since everyone there is studying the exact same things, people that creates a kind of both a hierarchy in terms of like the seniors have read more shit, but uh-huh. also that the seniors can talk to the freshmen d- intelligently about the stuff that we're all studying. And was that part, sort of part of the, the the climate and culture there? Is for sure this exchange? Yeah, yeah. I mean, by the time I was a senior, I was so sick of it that I was just on my house off campus and, and didn't like really care to just smoking weed, playing a <laughs> yeah, <pet> exactly, <laughs> exactly, um, and like really just wanting to move here. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, exactly. But yeah, it is a big part of it. And you know, maybe I'm overstating it, the, my derision of it, but yeah, it's, it was a, it is a special place. I mean, it, it is really weird and very cult like in some ways. It as sounds well. like, yeah. I mean, there are all these weird rituals and, and everyone is Mr. And Ms. Like even the professors and in the class. So you'd be, we'd be, I would talk if we were, and there are no lectures. Wait, wait, what would you call me? Mr. Simmerman. And oh, I like Mr. Let's, Weinberg. Yeah. Let's continue that for the duration <laughs> yeah, exactly. of the Okay, yeah. And, every, and, and there was a democratization of that because the, the professors wouldn't go by doctor so-and-so. There would be no, no hierarchy there in the classroom. They, right. They were just kind of asking questions and prodding us along. And like, But addressing someone by their first name was discouraged? It wasn't allowed. It wasn't discouraged. It just, wasn't, just didn't happen. I mean, not outside, outside of class. Like, I wasn't calling my friends like Mr. or Ms. You know, in right? class, you would refer to your friends as... Mystery. You have to, yeah, yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah, sometimes it would, people would slip up, but yeah. It's, what was the idea behind it? Just a, a level playing field. I think it, it ultimately means the same as like first names, but it's just more formal. Are they still doing that now? That like the I w- gender thing. It's funny. Little... I, was, I was wondering about that. I was talking about with a friend, with a friend of mine the other day, like how they're going to handle that, or they must have already. Like they must have already. 
I think it, it either just it it should either just go to last names or just first names. It's funny because you know I often wonder with all this like all this shit that's going on with like these different groups like careful whether it's like <laughs> like you know the Proud Boys you know oh, yeah. or like Jordan Peterson and SJWs and like this whole world of like inflammatory language and like yeah. anger towards one another. Yeah, I wonder how much of it actually takes place off of college campuses because that seems to be the only place this shit happens. Yeah, like I don't walk around the streets and have these like battles that I want. You know, I'll go on YouTube and I'll be like, "Oh, SJW gets owned." Let me watch that. Or yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, Jordan Peterson tries to brand himself as like a he's a professor, right? Or is he's it, a professor in Canada. Yeah, in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's yeah, he's you know he's a troublemaker. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, my original point is this: this like intense level of discourse, from what I can tell, and I'm probably you know. Would be someone would be upset to hear me say this. I don't know that it occurs off of college campuses, you know, with people older than the age of twenty-two. My experience is that either it's that or people who went to Bard or whatever <laughs> carry that with them, um, you, you know, right? And and then it becomes and then it's like an extension of that sh- that same shit that that was. Uh, inculcated on the campus, yeah, and, it, and it's like a. It does seem like kind of niche. I mean, at least on the. Are you talking? You're talking about the people on the left, the left and the right. I mean, the right is you know arguably, and this is again going to sound very ignorant of me, but like, you know, generally speaking, a lot of the positions that people on the right take, you know, are it's because they're ignorant and fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, the, yeah. The one thing I will say about St. John's that I I do appreciate unequivocally now is that. Um, it does kind of strive towards a, a mean, kind of make me distrustful of either extremes. Right. Um, Good. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. And I think yeah. that's been lost. Um, and but it was a different time, you know. Like even the, since twenty sixteen, things have changed so much. Where like maybe having you like reasoned discourse with the Proud Boys is is fucking insane, and you should shouldn't be even well, it's not, yeah, it's uh, entertained. Not yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So the climate's changed. Um, but I, there were conservatives who went to school there, you know, like more neocons and, uh-huh. and professors, which is really weird. Um, but they were really smart. And it wasn't like, oh, someone's conservative, immediately they're a fucking idiot. Right. Um, and I, because I think like, I'm definitely not conser- very far from it, but like, I think that's a big, I think like we've been lost in this n- noise and the do- dogma of, of both of these things have, have driven, yeah. like, so that like even there are things on the left with, I mean, I'm not going to even specify, but yeah, this, the, these kinds of things that reasonable uh, discourse has become very elusive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's just as bad or as insidious on, on that side as well. Absolutely. Um, so, but the, the proud boys and, and all that stuff, I mean, this is really, um, is really disturbing. Um, and I, I hope that we, I, I don't, I really don't know. I mean, what's going to happen if they're going to get more, if that divide is going to keep growing or I something. It will. Yeah, it probably will. Seems yeah. like it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't seem like it's a turning back. No, I don't think so. Yeah. It's so crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's too bad. Yeah, yeah. But like, maybe I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm reading into what you're describing, but the academic scene that you're describing sounds kind of like very classic and very like character building. And yeah, I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing dead poet society, basically. It's not dissimilar from Dead Poets. The campus looks pretty similar, uh-huh. and, and um, a lot of people wore blazers. I wore a lot of blazers. That's um, fucking great. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's it is. I mean, it's a super anachronistic thing. I mean, it does uh-huh. like because no one was using computers in classes or anything and whatever. So like, 
Unless if you could like ignore some people walking around with headphones, you could be convinced that you were in. That's so good. And everyone was smoking cigs. So good. Everyone smoked cigs. Good. Uh, You're which supposed was, to. Um, I didn't really, but, um, but, you, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, but it's it's, uh, and I think that scared a lot of people. It's gonna scare my parents for sure. That he would start smoking. This, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny, man. I was watching this video the other day of um, of Lester Young playing, mm. and it's one of those things where it was like a TV thing. Yeah, and he's playing. You know, he's playing the sax, and in between, like his fingers while he's playing, he's got a lit cigarette yeah. going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you go back, you watch those videos. Like anytime those guys were on TV, they always had a lit cigarette. Between their fingers as they were playing. Very practical. Yeah. Very practical. Yeah. Really like freeze up your fingers yeah, for, totally. yeah, for yeah. those runs. Shredding, but, yeah. But was that like a fashion thing? It must have been, right? Because yeah. Coltrane did it, Miles did yeah. it. Yeah. It must be yeah, it must have been a fashion. Like you you can't wait five minutes till your fucking appearance on like you can't French, even smoke French TV is done. If you're playing the horn. So Bass it's... solo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you get that dragon, yeah, exactly. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, those guys loved SIGs. They loved SIGs. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Did, were you playing the horn the whole time you were in school? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously not as obsessively or right. as much time as now. I just didn't have as much time. I was pretty serious about school. But by the end, I was going to Baltimore a lot and playing, and that's where I met. That was the near city. Yeah, and Jamie Branch was living there at the yeah. time, and I met Jamie then and saw her play. Right, the Red Room or something? Yeah, and these warehouse spaces, like the H&H space and the wind-up space she was playing. H&H, uh-huh. H- H- I think that was what it was called. H&H yeah. bagels? Yeah, I don't, yeah, it was this shit. It was, it was massive. I mean, everything in Baltimore, like the scale of these. It's such a weird city. It's weird, yeah. I love it. Yeah, and so Annapolis is only like 25 minutes away. Yeah. And so. Were you going to D.C. at all? Less. Yeah. Um, I, I went to see Jack Wright a couple times in D.C. when I was in Does he live there? No, but he was coming through. I mean, it's yeah. not far from Pennsylvania, and yeah, I yeah. guess he went to Baltimore, too. Um, I do like D.C. I was born in Arlington, Virginia. Oh, really? Yeah, I only lived there for like a year. Are your parents in government? No. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, my dad works in retail, like a, really? uh, like a corporate retail. Like he, he works for DSW now. That's they Really? Moved, they moved to Columbus a couple of years ago, yeah. Designer Shoe Warehouse? Designer Shoe Warehouse, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> and so he was working for chains of department stores when that was still a thing for basically my whole childhood. So we ended up moving a lot. Yeah, well, because you're from Long Island, right? Yeah, well, that's where I I went to high school in Nassau County. Yeah, but um, so I was born in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, we we actually moved to Columbus briefly for like four months when I was like a year and a half old, uh-huh. which is funny that they ended up back there. And then we lived in L.A. for a long time. Where in L.A.? Glendale, Oof. and then we moved to St. Louis for one year, which is when I started playing music in fifth grade. And then we moved back to L.A. Back for, to Glendale to Altadena the second time. Uh-huh. Um, Glendale's is, okay now, actually. Yeah, it was it was just like just like. Super fucking Armenian back then. Oh, it yeah, still yeah, is. Yeah, it yeah, still yeah. is. Yeah, that was that's kind of all I really remember. Um, it's still is. Yeah, it's the like the like downtown Glendale is weird, but and then Altadena was much cooler, like yeah. in the foothills, and you know all this stuff isn't. It's really actually really close to L.A., like this downtown L.A. Right. and like Eagle Rock and all that shit. So, um, yeah. So after we, the one thing that was cool about living in St. Louis briefly in fifth grade was that i had no friends and that was the year they started the music band so instrument selection shit uh-huh. and so i i chose clarinet you have to start with clarinet right you have to start with clarinet but i i don't i think i don't even remember like being like i'm gonna do this so that i play saxophone but it was it, that was the vibe it was like the three best clarinet players play play alto right in the middle school but i had no friends that's, Lit- like, that's like peter's principle isn't it what is Peter? like if you you know peter's principle Mm-mm. It's the idea that, like, in um, 
in a hierarchy, people rise to their level of incompetence, meaning like, you know, you keep getting promoted, keep getting promoted until you land at the position that like you can't be promoted from because you're not very good at oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it would just seem like, oh, you're really good at clarinet. That's a beautiful instrument. Let's put you on the worst instrument in the world, the yeah, alpha sax. Yeah, no, I mean, it is it is really weird. And clarinet is so much harder. So much harder. So much harder. And like, and it's kind of fucked up. Like, I, because my mom was like, I think you should stay with clarinet too. Like, you really liked it. Yeah, it's great. You were doing it a lot. Like, I don't think just because you got this, like, you know, you know promotion so to speak that <laughs> that you should just like you know throw the baby out with the bathwater and i was kind of like fuck that like i love uh, saxophone's cool yeah yeah, yeah. um fuck the and then I, I i still haven't played it since then so you still have it no i was a rental Did any interest in doubling on that thing? i would like to i would like to if it, if like everyone wasn't saying how hard it was all the time and uh, <laughs> I, th- I think yeah right i mean i would really like to i think it's a beautiful instrument on the other hand I think it's kind of cool to really appreciate certain instruments and not have any facility on them whatsoever. You know, most people aren't that good at instruments, and very few are good at multiple instruments. Like, most people, it makes sense to just play one instrument. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was talking to McCowan earlier today, and, like, you know, he was doubling on saxophone and all different clarinets and flute. And yeah. then finally, I think it finally it is just kind of like, you just kind of got to decide. Right. Like, because, you know, I don't want to, like... There's so many people who play clarinet so well. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like, oh, just because I like this, I should like spend a bunch of time to, to like not get as good as. But so-and-so. you're also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not doing like a lot of uh, like sideman sessions and no, Broadway things no, no, where no, like, no, you can have no, it as a double no, for the no. ballet. Yeah, doubling as a concept is like kind of right. laughable at at this point. But but that was some shit that like, um, that was like told to me when I first started studying music more seriously, like before summer like right when i moved to new york um that like that was an expectation yeah well if you're a professional yeah gigging musician who's yeah. working in people's bands five nights a week yeah that is like a skill set you should have totally yeah it's it's crazy how how much so i guess backtrack a little um so when i was in st louis and i did that and then we moved back to la and i was taking saxophone lessons from this really weird lady who um Cause yeah, cause I started and we had this, I had this loaner from St. Louis in LA. We took it with us. Like I'd rented it for a, a year. Yeah. Um, what the fuck was it? Was Probably it, Yamaha or something. Was it, I don't think it was a Yamaha. It might've been, um, uh, Bundy. Bundy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. God, yeah. One of those Bundys with you know, like, like those the really skinny r- ones with a bad spray yeah. job, like that weird patina. It was horrible. But, but I also got really into playing electric guitar. Yeah, well, it's fun. Yeah, exactly, and, and saxophone, and then it's, it's funny how quickly saxophone became really lame and yeah. stupid. But I was taking lessons with this woman who was like an Olympic fencer. Um, her name, speaking of lame, yeah, super lame. Her name yeah. was uh, Amy Fortune. So if you're out there, um, and uh, we would do the le- these alto lessons like out of these etude books in the. She had a fencing studio with her husband, like in this storage closet, literally a storage closet. We would do these lessons. Just like really boring shit, and then I started studying with this guy who lived down the block from me in Altadena, who repaired saxophones and like mm-hmm. played jazz. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, did you enjoy listening to jazz? Yeah, I did. Like soloists and people that could. Blow. Yeah, I, around that time I was more into blues. Like I was uh-huh. really in middle school in LA. I was like obsessed with Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters and stuff. That shit's great, man. Yeah, um, and Robert Johnson, Sun House, and all that stuff, and even. Um, 
as much as I would regret, like Stevie Ray Vaughan and stuff. Um, He's a great guitar player. Yeah, kind of a lame vibe. I mean, aesthetically, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it leaves a little bit to be Yeah, desired, but I wasn't but... making those sorts of differentiations. I was like, 12-bar blues. Right. Oh, shit, sorry. 12-bar blues, like, right. amazing. You know, yeah, I love yeah. it. So, so it was mostly blues, but, like, you know, I wanted to, I was, with this other guy, I was, like, playing Abersolds and stuff, like, uh-huh. you know, play-alongs and Killer Joe and, like, oh, like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, you know, I, I just it just wasn't it wasn't really capturing my mind as much as like bending the shit out of like a, my Squire Strat and like sure you know in L.A. and I remember I had uh, we I would play some shows like on guitar little things like around this so I was in this this really small like progressive school in L.A. like with thirty kids in the middle school like where a Montessori we, thing or it was called yeah it was it was wasn't exactly like that but it was not too far off. Right. Um and uh but there we called our teachers by our first names and um <laughs> <laughs> and uh and that was really out and my mom worked at that school and it was kind of like a kibbutz or something. Like I remember a lot of Jewish kids? No, not really. But but, but like a really insular like the, we would socialize like it seemed for whatever reason that like there was a lot of people who like were had families that were same age differences like me and my brother were four, four years younger and then uh-huh. there were like a few other people who were the same way uh-huh. so we'd socialize with these same families and we'd all go to this really small school and then there would be like musical things and i would have a band with these people were playing instruments it's kind of cool but you know sax, i was taking these saxophone lessons but i wasn't kind of i wasn't really into it i, I thought it was kind of dumb and mm. i they bought me a yamaha alto student Yas twenty three, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was doing this stuff, but I was wasn't really into it. And then the summer before my freshman year of high school, like at some point when I was in eighth grade, my dad was like, "We're moving to New York." I got he was working for I forget some some other retail thing, and um, we moved to this town in Manhasset, which is pretty close as, as far as Long Island's concerned. Like I got fairly lucky. Like I wasn't like super, super out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we were like three miles from the border of Queens uh-huh. and my mom's from Flushing and my grandparents were living there at the time, uh-huh. you know, so her whole family is there. So it, when we moved here, it kind of made a certain sense, but she signed me up for this program. Um, like every day of the week that summer, this jazz program at Queens college where I was playing saxophone. I was kind of like, what the fuck? Uh, you know, yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. want to do this. Like I, I yeah, yeah. I'm into fucking muddy waters. Like I just want to be playing like my buddy guy, tabs on the internet and shit like that Um, (laughs) but it ended up being really cool um and uh because there's other kids there playing horns too yeah and the faculty was really cool um anyone i would know yeah i think so like chris davis really uh, yeah (laughs) and um shane ensley from Uh anybody and uh this bass player dave ambrosio pretty great musicians yeah yeah and um and on and on and on and uh this alto player john o'gallagher was my teacher for there for a while and this other guy eric rasmussen was the first these teacher. are all people that you would pay a lot of money to study with them totally that yeah would pay that, exactly yeah. so this was like they were kind of like not yet you know big vinnie sparaza the huh? drummer yeah, um, yeah, so that was a huge thing for me i mean it was it was crazy because it totally changed i think it did change the course of my whole life actually um because it really got me interested in jazz and like historically and current things. Right. So that summer that I moved here, 
I like went and saw Tony Malaby play like four times. Where? At Barbez or something? At Barbez, at Bar 4, at Cornelia uh, Street. Sure. I got really into him at the same time that I was getting into like Art Ensemble and Cecil Taylor and Ornette and right. like Hank Mobley and Thelonious Monk and Coltrane and like... So it was awesome. I mean, it was sick. And then that's continued on in the year. But you were still playing alto, right? Tenor. I had bought a tenor in eighth grade. Okay. Um, like from the teacher. He had this 10M. That a real was, horn? Yeah, a 10M. Con, that he, right? Yeah, con 10M that he was selling for like 700 bucks. Oh. Um, and so I got that, and that was my saxophone until my senior year of college when I got the summer. Um, Mark Six. Yeah. Uh-huh. I also got that for like insanely cheap, you know, not- For a Mark For six. a Mark Six, yeah. Right. Never thought I would have one, just because it's a Mark Six. Yeah, the the it's the horn. Yeah, um, but but yeah. So I, this program, I was going. I went for a while, like on. And you got good FaceTime with the teachers. Oh yeah, I mean, Saturdays I would get there at ten a.m. and leave at like five thirty, and then and awesome. then like during the summers it was like every day from like that period of time, and it was like ensembles, and then they were like write your own music. And I was kind of, and none of this had even really occurred to me. You'd never written a tune before? No, not like, not like this. And I didn't even really realize like that people were doing that. And all of this was totally new to me. This whole like Brooklyn jazz thing. I had no no idea about it. And it's not that surprising, especially since LA, like (laughs) shit's so lame. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, or like, I just wasn't checking it out. Um, You know, obviously I wasn't checking out like the LA harsh noise scene when I was in eighth grade but sure. um yeah so it this just this just kind of blew my mind and i was just like really a sponge and just like really went in both on like and then like got really into paul motion and saw, he, was he still alive big time yeah. yeah and he was playing at the vanguard like six engagements a year yeah. of like a week like two with the trio so like i would in high school i would just go to see the trio like six times out of the two week yeah shit and like stay for both sets and, like, and did you talk to paul yeah, a little bit. He was kind of salty, but I was also really? like, yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, I don't even really remember exactly what we said. He was nice enough. I mean, sure. how, how what are you going to say to like a 14-year-old who's like Right, he was like, like a thousand years old. Yeah, exactly. And he and like now I probably wouldn't have gone up to him and said anything, but it was, you know, he, I I'm happy I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um like I ran to Bruce Nauman the other day at Moment PS1 at his retrospective and uh-huh. I was, and I was like debating Going up and saying hi? And I did. I did. You should. Yeah, yeah. So I'm happy about that. Um, but yeah, so I would see Paul Motion all the time. And eventually I, I left the program out of like just thinking I knew everything. <laughs> um, that tends to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah when yeah. I was like 15, I had a big argument with Vinny. Um, really? Yeah. Um, As, like an aesthetic argument? I just didn't think he that the direction he was taking it in was, was what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. I remember... Um, that there was a time when we, the whole semester of this Saturdays thing, every week we had to play in different configurations in front of the whole group, Green Chimneys by Thelonious Monk, okay. which might be one of the worst Thelonious Monk tunes. I've, I've, been, I've been digging a lot of Monk lately. But Green Chimneys is kind of rough. I mean, yeah, you know yeah. that one I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely rough when you hear like a bunch of people playing it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that, and and like we would just play it every week. And then it would be like, I liked what you did this week as opposed to that, like three weeks ago when you played this tune. Like, I don't really know what the vibe still was with that. But I was kind of like, this is driving me fucking crazy. Like, it's not worth it for me to keep going to this. I'm already into music. I'm already writing. Because then I started, I got really into writing my own pieces. Oh, really? Oh, big time, yeah. Um, for groups 
for groups and and like lead sheets and stuff. Yeah. I mean, but like some some counterpoint and and stuff. And I was just really obsessed with it. Finale and freehand in my bedroom in high school, uh-huh. and then playing them myself and multi-tracking them on uh, Garage Band right. and stuff. Um, so I was like, I don't need this shit. Like, <laughs> like I know what I'm into. Fucking Albert Eiler and and Ornette. Like I can I can do that myself. <laughs> right. Um, and obviously that that basically led to a long period of not really playing with anyone. Um, yeah, that's an attitude that some people don't really. Yeah. Well, no, no. I, it wasn't. It wasn't from the ad, for the attitude as much as I think just like access. Right. Well, because you were still living in L.A. No, no, in New York. Living in New York. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But th- but I would still be going to all these shows. Like I would still see Tim Byrne and shit on the weekends, and that would that would right. that was like still feeding me. So I was nur- well nourished. So just, you really got to do that as a teenager. Like go hear these guys all the time. Friday, Saturday, sometimes other days. That's pretty unique and pretty special. It was awesome. Yeah. 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 And I saw Nate Woolley in high school. Really? Yeah. Where? Uh, Do you remember? At Cornelia Street with Malaby in like 2005 or six. <laughs> right. Um, I think they were living across the street. From yeah, in Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. Um, I saw Peter Evans play with Andrew D'Angelo as big band at yeah, the that. T Lounge and, uh-huh. and stuff. Um, so I was seeing a lot of stuff and I was into a lot of stuff. Uh huh pretty early on but then i and then i got really into this guy bill mchenry he was playing yeah, I know bill he was playing with paul motion a lot and and then my junior year of high school i just gave him a phone call bill bill yeah because i hadn't really been studying with people that much i'd like kept doing lessons a little bit with that, that guy o'gallagher but none of the other stuff at queen's college and and then bill was super friendly to me and then like my senior year of high school basically every weekend i went over to his place in fort green and we hung out he's a nice guy yeah he's a strange guy but he's really nice and um and uh, he taught me a lot, and like it was just really cool for me because, like, everyone in my stupid suburban high school was like really into fish and shit. But this was like me hanging out with the guys that Tr- you were Trey Anastasio or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. the equivalent. Like every weekend, I would be at his house for like hours, and then I stopped paying for lessons. Like we would just like he would like make me eggs. We'd like listen to Ornette on tenor and uh-huh. like just chill, go to the farmers market and fork like walk around. It was cool, really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really insane actually. Yeah. Um, like how friendly he was to me at that time, needlessly. Yeah, yeah. So when you moved to to Maryland to go to college, you sort of put all that stuff on hold, or you? Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't really know. I mean, I kind of thought, I kind of thought I would pursue the academia thing. Frankly, mm-hmm. like I, that was a plan for a while. Um, but it, you know, it's kind of hard to repress that. I mean, I was basically the only one who was into this stuff at in this college I went to. Um, you know, some people I would play some stuff for, and they'd be like, "This is cool," but it wasn't like, "Oh yeah, let's talk about Tim Byrne." You know, uh-huh. That wasn't like a right. Um, and then, especially as the school progressed, and I got more and more into Evan Parker and Roscoe and and Jack Wright and th- I mean, and, P- the, and Peter and that's stuff like that. Like the end point. Like once you get into that, you realize like, oh, there's nothing else. This yeah, is yeah, yeah. So and <laughs> and then that would people would be like, "You're like into some really weird shit," you know. So <sighs> it was it was kind of. It was discordant. But then I was like, you know, I, I've put all this time into sax, so I'm like, I think I want to move back to New York. I didn't have any expectations about how it would turn out. But so I was like, you, you moved back here to get involved with the music? Yeah, yeah, it, roughly. I, uh-huh. I, I mean, my family was here, you know. And Your my, parents. My were still, parents were yeah. still here, and my grandparents were here, and... Um, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I, was, I was just kind of like, you know... I, I'll try it out. You know, I knew some people, obviously, since I'd been going to these shows and stuff. I knew I knew Tim, and then I reached out, you know, knew Tony a little bit, and I was hanging out with him when I first got here uh-huh. at Malibu. And, um, 
Yeah, and then I, I just started playing with meeting people at show, meeting younger people. Doing got, sessions. Sessions, yeah. Had you of, done that before? Because that's kind of like the big thing. In Baltimore a little bit. Um, right. But, but not really. And it was th- really th- thrilling. And I didn't care about playing gigs my first like seven or eight months pl- living here. I was yeah. Just, just meeting people and going to shows like every night. And sessions. Um, yeah, sessions, just sessions, yeah. And I... And who, who are you? Who are you doing sessions with? All types of people. Like, um, my first sublet was in Flatbush, like uh, Lefferts Gardens. Uh-huh. And one night, I saw Pascal Nickenkemper like walking out of the train, and I was like, "Hey, I just moved here." And he was like, "I live three blocks away. Come over tomorrow." You just saw a guy with a bass. No, I knew or it was him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I knew okay. it was him. Okay. And uh, I was like, "I like your stuff." Cheers. Right. And uh, so I played with him a little bit. Uh, Let's see. <laughs> oh yeah, all all sorts of people. I mean, I was yeah, I was playing a lot with Malaby Duo. I would go yeah. over there a lot. Um, this bass player Will McAvoy, who moved to uh-huh. Ann Arbor a couple of years ago, I was playing a lot with him, and he was pretty helpful with me for a lot of a lot of things. Like he got me into his rehearsal studio at the Navy Yard, which is now defunct. But then he recruited me to be doing this series with him at this place, Rye. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. that was going on. For a couple of years, um, it's moved to this place, Balboa. I mean, I'm not, I haven't been involved since 2016, but um, him, like Patrick Briner, um, Sam Ospavat, uh-huh. drummer, um, yeah, different people. Um, and then I met Henry Fraser, and we play a lot together. Um, yeah, bass player. I saw you with him at that Milford. No, movie. The Milford movie, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we hang out a lot, and we're we're really really tight. Yeah, and we started playing. We moved here at the same time, like graduated college at the same time and whatever and i think we've yeah i don't know we just we've developed that duo vocabulary a lot and we had a band together called yeah. meister day and um but Wait, you guys not a band anymore not really not as much as it once was but um we still play a lot together right. duo. hopefully we'll finally actually record a duo record because i played more duo with him than basically anyone else yeah um yeah and then like eventually it got to like similar people that i'm playing with now basically like chris welcome and andrew smiley and jason nazary and, uh-huh um, mostly just imp- improvising, like, and then I was briefly in a band, not not brief. I, I guess it was sort of a long time with that Will's band of Ornette stuff with Sinton and oh, what's that called? Curriculum Quextet. Okay. <laughs> wait, wait, who's in that group? Uh, it was it was originally Sam Ospavad and Will McAvoy, dr- bass and drums, and then me Sinton and um. Danny Gauker, trumpet player. Okay. Ryan Snow was in it. Do you remember him? Trump, trombone. trombone, yeah. Yeah, he was in it for a while. I kind of replaced him, and then he came back, and we got pretty close. Uh-huh. And then he went to go finish. He went to go start law school, and now he's, I think he's done at okay. University of Virginia. Um, so that was fun. Like, it was good experience for me to, to play. I just, we just memorized, I memorized like 40 Ornette tunes. Really? All from memory, yeah. Yeah. We learned them all by ear. And, um. And it was cool because they had been doing this band for a while before I got to town and they had this whole book. So like when I, when Will was like, you should join the band, I was like, okay, cool. And then I had to, and he's like, yeah, here are the tunes. So I had to I just like, remember in my, in my apartment in my old place in Crown Heights, I was just like for like three days straight, just like shedding Ornette, shedding Ornette tunes. And it was cool. Like I, I had known a lot of these tunes to like whistle, right? but none to play. It's great music. It's great music and it's really good. And once you learn a few of them. The rest kind of fall in, under your fingers a bit, right? You know? um, but it was cool, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff was. Were you guys touring with that stuff? No, but we played at this place Rye a lot. So, right. so Will somehow managed to talk this 
um, this proprietor of this like actually very nice bar in South Williamsburg into having a weekly series, mm-hmm. ultimately which had a guarantee I think of a hundred bucks. Really? Yeah. So each band would have like fifty bucks at least, even if they brought no one out. Um, and it was like you know fake aged wood and like this whole like fake rustic yeah. vibe but it was really nice and it was on south first and Havemeyer, like a re- like an insanely yeah, nice yeah. area but like it was on south first so and in the basement of a ver- of a nice restaurant that they had of the same name rye upstairs mm-hmm. but if you were just walking past it it would, could kind of look like a garbage chute or something or like a gross basement you know, like where they wash the dishes so that's that's why they obviously obviously a thriving business wouldn't welcome a free jazz series with open arms into their you know they're doing anything that would work yeah exactly so like wednesday night yeah if we have if we get brought seven people they were psyched really yeah but we would be playing i mean those early the first couple months of that was crazy because we would we would be playing like with the band with josh and will and all those guys like we would play one set and then we'd book another set and the bartenders were just like hated it no they loved it they oh, were really? hooking it up yeah it was nuts dude. that's such a good situation i would drink like i would they would give me like 11 free drinks i, I would just be hammered like every week which is wednesday night <laughs> like shots co- these really nice cocktails everything was free i would and then it got to a point where i was just tapping my own beers oh there. god um, I, get, I mean i get so stressed out being the guy like who booked the gig who you know who runs the series or like yeah it got to be too much for me i mean <laughs> Will moved to Ann Arbor, and we, Danny and Kenny Warren, trumpet player, uh-huh. Will tapped them to do it with me, and they decided that we should do months, do it on a monthly basis, like one gig a month. No, 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 no. Each of us take a month. Oh, okay. Uh, so like, so then it's kind of like on one hand it's cool. It's like you present like this is my shit. This yeah. is a month. But on the other hand, then it became like, oh, there's two months I have to wait where I don't get to book anything, mm-hmm. and I still have to go to these shows that I'm not maybe not as interested in and have to collect money for them and mm-hmm. worry about this and like worry about the owners. And it was like, I wait, I don't even it eventually got to the point where it's like, wait, this isn't making any sense to me. Mm-hmm. And the shit I wanted to book there, they liked the Ornette thing. Cause it was, you know, if you close your eyes, it's jazz. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah it's kind of fun at this yeah. point. Yeah. It can be really fun. And uh, people were hamming it up. You know, Josh can get you know mm-hmm. very theatrical. And so, uh, <laughs> But then, it, then like the stuff I wanted to book was either way too loud or way too quiet, right? And you kind of couldn't have it both ways because it was just one room. There wasn't a back room, right. so it was like that was also a point. And then it's like, okay, well, it's good for the community. It's like, well, what am I keeping this going for if I'm not really if I'm making concession, aesthetic concessions with what I'm doing, uh-huh. and not and it's not fulfilling for me musically? So I I stopped doing it and. July of that was the last time you did any booking as a series type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I have this shit at my house, like you've played. Yeah, um, which is cool. That also has its own like toss ups because it's actually my neighbors. <laughs> like you know that it's right. No one's ever complained at all. But I. But it's also like I don't, I'm not. I'm also not booking like a bunch of things with like huge drum kits or whatever. Like, right. You know, there are things that are limiting that. So. It, it's all my booking stuff has been a little bit frustrated by those sorts of limits. You know the booking I mean? shit's a drag. It is. So many people start series. Yeah. Well, I feel they, like there's kind of a dearth of series right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Max Fish. That's the shit. That's the best series. Yeah. 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 That's that's uh, amazing. Yeah. That's like you should do a series if it's going to be like that. But I don't know why more series aren't like that. I mean, I know why, but. <laughs> or I, I have some idea why. Yeah, yeah. 
They're I, kind of in with a certain crew that like really comes out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I see those same people at like blank forms shows. And, right issue and stuff like that it, i mean it it exists beyond the musicians who are gonna play it oh, that's certain that's true. very clear yeah you yeah. know and it's and it's in a place where uh it's an actual place and it's in a place where people want to have fun and it's in a place where you just that 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 is a big problem with a lot of you know, whatever you call this music, like there's this crossover of improvised music and noise and electroacoustic and jazz and all this shit is that people are just playing for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's a huge echo chamber here. I mean, yeah. it's either, so it's either like going on tour or playing things like Max Fish, right. which is like, um, where no one, the, the two times I've played at a basement, I don't think many people have known who I was at all, which is amazing. Yeah, it's because in playing in in Brooklyn, it's like oh, these like ten people who like I always play to, right? Either people I'm always on bills with, or like the same people who who turn up, right? And it's like not no knock on that. I mean, it's cool, I guess, but it's a different kind of validation, a different kind of feeling when you're actually like bringing it for a, a group of people who have no idea who, I mean, who you are. Yeah, totally. And there are millions of fucking people who live in the city, so it shouldn't be that hard. But yeah, uh, but it is. It um, continues to be. It there, continues to is, be. Yeah. Is it because things aren't centrally located? Like, why is it? I think that's that's part of a part of it. Um, but venues, you know, I, I don't think like I think people don't really value this stuff, or or they value it in a way. I mean, it's it's weird. It's like I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, uh-huh. um, I gotta choose my words wisely. But um, there are things that draw a lot of people out. Um, and I, and I don't really, and I think it's has to do with like institutional support uh-huh. has a lot to do, even if the shows are free, I think it's like, I think it's a, uh, part, partly to do with somebody saying this is good or right. this, this, some institution saying this is worth your time, right? which can elevate even people who get these things. And then the shows they play at those things are packed. And then they play the next night at fucking wherever wherever, and there's two people there again right it doesn't carry over i think a lot of this stuff is like very much in a vacuum Uh uh-huh um you know what i'm you vaguely know what i'm talking about i do i know i know Um, very much what you're talking about but and i and i think like i i think with a lot of these i'll just say like generally speaking like sound art things that i've Uh seen that that have been just been a pioneer works or some shit like i saw you know i'm not going to name names but you know big thing at pioneer works Uh last summer that involved people dragging things on the floor, piece of metal. With contact and stuff. mics, right? Yeah, and it's like, well, I actually think people, if they, if they like, actually heard like someone like uh, playing an instrument, like uh, Sean Ali or Carlo uh-huh. Costa or something, like so even that stuff that's like sound oriented or whatever, right? Would probably like it more. Would actually probably viscerally enjoy it more. Uh-huh. But it's this thing where it's like this kind of Emperor's New Clothes vibe. It's like, yeah, someone saying, "No, this is really deep. Like you have to like this," and then it's like. I went to art school, you know what? <laughs> I'll, uh-huh, I'll uh-huh. go to this thing, and does this what does what I'm saying make sense? Like, it makes that, absolute sense because yeah. that stuff actually does draw. I was at a show the other night, Blanks Forms put on of Graham Lampkins, whose work I really like, but it was packed. It was totally packed, and he was like rubbing beer bottles together. And shit. Right. You know, it's like I don't know if those same people who who either liked it or didn't like it wouldn't either like or dislike some stuff that that's like free improv or lowercase imp- improvised music or whatever that that might be totally right outside I, I, of that I, I or know. how much those people even know about that stuff well, or how mean. much like of of that audience the size of the audience is there because of 
the sounds that are coming to their ears. It's probably about a little bit more than that. Totally. It's being seen at those being things. Seen. It's, it's it, you know. Instagram. Lifestyle branding. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And so somehow, you know, from I think from what I've been told, it, it's slightly different in, in Europe about the regard that this this stuff that, you know, you and I are mm-hmm. more maybe more involved in um, has a different regard or an esteem that, that transcends it to the level of, like, art in that way. I don't, but, I don't know. It, but, the, whole, the whole thing seems a little strange to me right now. Yeah. It seems it, – it's I don't know that anyone is really, like I – know, I know people who – hit up that world that pioneer thing you were talking about where it's the musicianship shall we say is questionable at best or might not even be musicianship at all yeah yeah. right yeah yeah i mean there is a famous piece um famous in quotes um from like 10 plus years ago that involved nail polish bottles and electric guitars and people that don't know how to play them Uh and it was a huge piece yeah 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 huge piece yeah um but if you're talking about like a listening experience that's based on like a person's personal vision that involves, you know, an aspect of craftsmanship and and hours logged of interacting with other musicians and yeah. that sort of if that component, that sweat equity is important to you, like if you look it, it's gotten to a tricky place. Like I, I don't Yeah, I think there's a there's a suspicion of virtuosity in, in those thing in those things too. Um that like actually being good at an instrument itself is kind of like anathema. It's not the coolest thing. No, no. Even with people who, yeah. I mean, we can talk about names. Uh, no, I don't. I mean, yeah, later, later time. But like you know, it's it. It does feel that way to me that like that the the higher the concept and like the the less involved with actual like craft of playing an instrument. Right. The more it's valued. And I'm not saying this is a present. I'm well, not saying no, this no, like no. I, I deserve such, such and such. You know, the point I was trying to make though is like the people that I know that kind of thrive in that that world, they don't waste a minute a day uh, not hustling. And right. It's a very specific right. thing, and it's like it's something that we could probably, you know, benefit from more. You know, like there is, you know, if you're going to be a professional, whatever, like maybe you should spend X amount of time on the work and X amount of time on getting the work to be more visible and X amount of time on, yeah, you know what I mean? It's tough. Well, it's tough, man, because everyone is kind of their own publicist, uh, grant writer, uh-huh. artist, and all these things in one, in one essentially, unless you've, you've transcended to, you can get one of re- relegate one of those tasks to sure. somebody else. But yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, it's, it's tough. Like, and I feel so, gross anytime i've had to like write about myself i've never applied to any grants or anything but yeah but I, I i i feel like i would be pretty uneasy about spinning myself in that in that way it's yeah it's really so people people have a various degrees of comfort with it. you know it's like i think some people are really down and and can spin it well, and... some people are really good at it some people's totally. greatest talent is in fact <laughs> yeah. the you know the smoke and mirrors they're able to create that that yeah. generates these opportunities yeah. for themselves yeah yeah it's crazy i mean uh, I guess, you know, ultimately it's just trying to stay focused on the shit itself and, and less about this stuff and try right. to ma- hopefully that some point people will catch up or, well, here, or here, not. here's one thing I I'll say know. where there's a differentiation between people who are, you know, out in the streets every night 
playing to two people, three people in, you know, questionable makeshift venues versus the people that, you know, get the approval of the art world and do these big events is that they don't play that much. Yeah. And for, I have to assume for you that playing a lot and playing with different people is important. That process is important to what that, that's what the work is. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, you're right. Cause it, it isn't this, this like this season I'm doing these two things. Right. Um, totally. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good, good assessment of it. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to be playing. I would rather be playing more at different places than like, this is my thing, like right. for the year. Yeah, you know, I've, and like, and the pressure of that must be kind of crazy too. It's like, oh, I've been working on this piece for eight months, and I've, you know, well, how old are you? Twenty six. Right. I mean, twenty six year olds really shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, just yeah. because like you need like to, to just keep putting more and more experience into your bag. Seems that way. Yeah, yeah. But that's think- that's how it's happened. Yeah, yeah. I'm at the point now where I'm. I think I'm more focused on on projects. Yeah. Like. Less of the, like, up for sale, like, I'm going to do a bunch of first meeting gigs. Ad hocery, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm less into that at this point uh, than I was, like, three years ago or so. When, I, when it was like, oh, I want to see, like, sure. what, what makes sense. And it's like, now I have a few things that I'm pretty serious about. So you've got the, the duo with Chris Welcome. Yeah, W2. W2. And yeah. you guys, you seem to play a lot. And... It's been a little less this year because they had a baby. Chris right. and Shayna, but yeah, yeah, we're playing at the Hasselfest in Boston on November tenth. Okay, um, but you're watching this language, or yeah, 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 yeah. It's definitely a thing for sure. And um, Blore, this band uh-huh. I have with Andrew Smiley and Jason Nazary, that's playing my compositions. Uh-huh. Um, we have a record coming out on Astral Spirits in January. Astral Spirits is really doing it, huh? Yeah, they released a W two record a couple of years. They're putting last out year. a lot of shit. Yeah, they're putting out a lot. Yeah. 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 It's it's a lot. It's a lot. Um but it's cool. Like they're putting out a CD and a tape for us. Uh-huh. And um the record is good. We we're, I'm really excited about it. It's been a cool process for me to to play like a, a set of six compositions with these guys for like a year and a half. Your stuff. My stuff, yeah. yeah. I mean I wrote it with them in mind and I think uh-huh. both of them like they're both amazing and um we had done a lot of improvising for like close to four years now. So it was like before when I was writing the piece, it's like, okay, what can I harness writing the pieces? I was like, what can I harness from this, the language that we've built to mm-hmm. do something? And it, and it, and it didn't really work a couple the first couple of gigs. Like we failed pretty hard. Our first yeah, gig yeah, at yeah. Halyards was like 13 minutes. It was the last gig that Jamie booked there, Jamie branch. And, um, we had rehearsed like a month before and then the gig was postponed and moved to a month later. And then, uh, <laughs> And I was like, okay, we got this. Like, this, these pieces aren't that hard. And, uh, and we just, like, totally fucked it up. Um, how long was the gig? You said 13 minutes? 13 minutes, You yeah. played six pieces in 13 minutes. Yeah, it's like a suite. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a medley. Um, I hope they were fast pieces. Like, they were. It like was tempo-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's coming. It, the band is kind of inspired a bit by both, like, um, the last bit of Harry Pussy's discography, uh-huh. the two guitars, and, um, and that like kind of weird phasing and that they had that i mean i think the pieces that orcut wrote and that shit were awesome to- totally yeah. genius yeah um like some of the best music ever and also like arthur blythe and and shit like that like uh-huh. this kind of dark carnival circus vibe um, yeah. with a lot of repetition and um but yeah, so they were fast pieces, you know. But uh, we we fucked it up. I don't even know how much we played them. Um, the pieces themselves, we were just kind of falling over each other. 
Some people like people really liked it. Some people uh-huh. were like I loved that first gig. Someone said that to me like after like the sixth or seventh gig. I was like, wait, what? Um, but but that's been cool. And then the past couple of years, been doing a lot of stuff with uh, like music concrete by myself. Yeah, that was that record that you put out on on Philip White's thing. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the second one of those those kinds of things that I'm doing, and I'm sort of working on a third one. Do you have like you you've been building a language in that? Yeah, I think I think. I think the two records each have a kind of similar identity to, to each to themselves. Like they're there's consistent within themselves. So solo electro Yeah, solo like field recordings okay. and concrete, I guess. Yeah. And, and do you have like in the way that you have a tenor, do you have like a set of hard tools that are sort of like your, your it, come, it kinda comes and goes. I mean, I've been doing it on logic. Yeah. Or um but like the first one was just like Liars Loosh. It was just like really expansive. I took a lot of samples from a lot of improv records, and you know, in, in ways that were probably obfuscated enough to be un, unrecognizable. Oh, you mean from other people's records? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, and the second one, I was like, I only want to record everything myself, and um, that was a little bit more like process oriented. Like it was a lot of the recordings were taken from a pretty finite stretch of of blocks that I would walk a lot from between my ex-girlfriend's place and my place, which was like 12 blocks away. Uh-huh. Um, it wasn't like a, you know, getting over a breakup thing. It was just, right, like, right, it was right. just like where I ended up like having my phone. You record it with your phone. Yeah. The voice yeah. memos and then do a lot of mixing, a lot of post-production yeah, stuff yeah. Um, and splicing. And now I've been re- recording all summer um, with a zoom, the windscreen. I've, uh, <laughs> I've stepped it up a little bit. Uh-huh. I still haven't really figured out I what what this is going to be, but the idea is um, is exploring motion either with respect to the recording, like recording. I've spent a lot of time in the tunnels on Eighty Second in Central Park. In Central Park, the, oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they have like four different tunnels across between the east and west side. Um, a lot of time on the bike path. So motion in re- in relation to the zoom things coming and going pedestrians and cars and, and bikes and then the bike path in prospect park and then walking myself so the motion and i'm moving in relation to other things and um i haven't that's those that's been the guiding principle about making the recordings i'm not sure how that how that will manifest itself but yeah i just kind of started getting into things that really into things that that the saxophone kind of wasn't the best sure tool for and instead of just being like this monomaniacal thing where it's like, I play the fucking saxophone. That's it. You know, it being okay with being like, oh, actually, I can explore. No, I, I, it's weird. I have like the opposite, like um, like default, which, you know, I certainly like adopted it from some, you know, one or two other people, which is like, man, a clarinet doesn't mean shit to me. A clarinet doesn't mean a fucking thing to me. Like, yeah. I, you know, go ahead, take it, set it on fire. I'll figure out some other way to make sense. You've got a nice little, what's that? i got a few synths over here. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, in actuality, like, I've only recently come to terms with the fact that, like, the clarinet's really important to me. Mm-hmm. And I really love nice clarinet playing. Yeah. And I value and I cherish the fact that I have a nice instrument. Sure. You know? And, like, yeah. I, 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 this is a, I was very fortunate on Friday night to play at a really nice classical uh, hall. Oh, wow. Here? Improvising. Yeah, New York. Oh, cool. Uh, oh, the thing with the firehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. it was, like, we played last and time was running out, so we don't get to play for very long. Yeah. But... You know, I saw a little vote, a photo you posted. It looked like a nice place. Yeah, no, it was one of these like amazing classical halls. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, and man, I like I'm not gonna you know not play the fuck out of my clarinet sure. in a situation like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, totally. And I think actually it helped 
me. Like it, it didn't, it didn't make me dark. It actually, I think it made me, yeah, it got a lot some, sort of similarly along those same lines. It's like, it made me appreciate the things that the saxophone does really well. And yeah. that I do well on the saxophone. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that like, yeah. Cause at this point I've been playing saxophone for like 17 years. It's like, that's, do you, do you ever like fucking play standards with people? Is that a part of your world at all? No, it hasn't been. And yeah. and like because just because like when I was a kid, I I just got sick of that. Like I when I was 15, I was like I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Um I don't I'm not interested in this. Uh, is that and that <laughs> that's, that continues? Yeah. Yeah. Um I really really like Lester Young and I really love Billy Holiday and uh-huh. Coltrane. You know, I love listening to jazz and I love like Big Spiderback and shit yeah, like yeah, you yeah. know, like I, I love I love jazz. I, I know a lot about it. Um I still listen to it a lot, but I think it's nice to, um, I imagine this is pretty similar to you, like appreciate it for what it is and be like, that was, that is what it is. Like, I don't necessarily think I need to step my feet into that just cause I really like, you, you I cover the take, waterfront or whatever. I mean, you could take what you need to from it. I always wonder though, when, cause I do take what I need to from it. Yeah. I, I just, I don't, I'm not sure how much other people are hearing it, uh-huh. you know, but like for instance, Lester, who's my favorite fucking sax player ever, who I listen to religiously. He'll be playing a ballad, and he's got this really breathy tone, and you can hear the saliva in the mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. You could hear, like, yeah. and he's doing that. He, yeah. It's not an accident. He yeah. doesn't not know what he's doing. I'll inject some of that stuff into what I'm doing, hoping that that sense of vulnerability comes across. Yeah. I don't know that it does. I think people hear Lester, and what they're hearing is the notes, the, the casual listener. They're yeah. hearing him play the composition and then solo. You know. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. It's like... I've logged thousands of hours of listening to jazz. Yeah. You know, uh, I've studied with jazz musicians. I've studied jazz harmony. Um, and so, and I always thought, even back in the day when they were like, okay, transcribe this Sonny Rollins solo from way out west or whatever, it was like, well, I think I can get something just by listening to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe more than like listening to it at half speed and like, you know, taking note of the ryth- rhythmic decisions or whatever. In an explicit sense. So, yeah, I mean, in that sense, I think I can take what I want from anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's that's kind of where I come out at this point. Like, you know, from, like, straight-ahead jazz playing to, like, EAI stuff. But, and I mean, harsh, trying on other noise. people's stuff is really helpful. Like, imagine if, you know, you were still playing that same fucking, like, Yamaha 23. Yeah. And then someone's like, here, try out this Mark 6. You'd be like, oh, my God, there's so much that's available to me. There's so many yeah. possibilities. I felt, I felt that way when I got a Mark 6, yeah. Yeah, and I, but I still yeah. feel that, like, I was um, transcribing some Jimmy Jufri stuff the other day. Uh-huh. And, and and the solos, you know, kind of, like, yeah. figuring out, like, what his, his language is and, like, kind of intervals he, you know, likes to improvise with. Sure, it's like, yeah. Immediately, I'm like, oh, I could take this and do a million... I, I'm actually... Now that I'm almost 40 years old, like really yeah. seeing the value and like transcribing. Sure. Yeah. You know, jazz in a way that people should have been doing when they were 19. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I mean, it's a complicated question. It's like, okay, do I need to just transcribe Roscoe Mitchell's Nonea to like get what that, what, what that's about? It's like, no, you put that on. It's like, that's the shit. The, yeah. Those like seven notes that he plays obsessively in that piece are like, that comes across. I don't need to ever play that right. to like have that wide intervallic language have left an indelible mark on on my conception of how things you know so that that's just for me i mean it, i never really maybe it was just because it was like 
too much like work or something. I just never really got into like the transcription thing, and and I it's developed into this kind of philosophical position, I guess. But but yeah, right. I mean that doesn't preclude me from from really like listening widely, you know, mm-hmm. and, and liking a lot of stuff. But on the same token, like I'm really into like U.S. Maple and Harry Pussy and Arab on Radar and stuff. I don't really know how to play any of those tunes, but those have like does that you? you does, I know what you're saying, but yeah. I, I do think one ends up like taking just as much on a very, very pragmatic level from that kind of whatever it is that you're into like you take it in you know like i'm really into yeah. like yeah or there was a period of time where i was really into a lot of tape music and yeah. like i figured out ways even subconsciously to like bring in aspects of it that i liked like certain distorted sounds yeah. and sounds of of things going lo-fi then coming back yeah i think we're i think we're in agreement I, I mean, oh absolutely yeah, yeah 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 it's just it's good to talk about it and sort <laughs> yeah. of like understand what you're doing because i always feel like i'm doing everything wrong yeah yeah and <laughs> When I am able to like step away from it and like I'll check something out that I did versus something that I did, or no, I'll check out something I did like ten years ago where I'm like pretty sure it was terrible and I had no idea, but you now like I'm it? like, oh well, no, those were like those ideas were in place and it was fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I think I think about that a lot because I don't listen to that many saxophone players. I haven't for the past couple of years, right? Necessary in that same way. I mean. Other instrumentalists, like I, you know, but yeah, mostly a lot of like tape music and noise and well, stuff. Look, you know what's a good thing to listen to? Have you heard this record that um, Evan Parker made called For the Wind? It's a trio record with Mark Nassif and um, I'm blanking on the other cat's name, a guy who's playing like phonographs and like wax cylinders. Oh, I don't know that one. It's amazing. It's, yeah. I think it's like maybe Evan's best thing ever. Really? What year was it? Like, like two years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. And, um, uh, and Evan talks about it in the liner notes like this is the best thing I've ever made. It's totally different from anything I've ever made. Yeah. So you're listening to the guy who you know for me is like the guy. Yeah, 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 sure. And he's he's putting himself in a position where he's like I don't, I don't know if these ideas are working, but this is exciting to me. So let's yeah let's the, have a go at it. Yeah. I mean I I still do listen to a lot of Evan Parker. I guess I, guess I should it's say the best, that. Dude. But um, do you know C section the record with John yeah, Weiss? That one's really <laughs> it's good. a weird one. I like that a lot. I think that might be his best foray in the electronic stuff. I like that way more than the stuff the electroacoustic ensemble. It's um, different. It's like right in your face. It's yeah, dry yeah, and... yeah. It's and but I've been getting into some of the weird solo records like Chicago solos and uh-huh. process and reality. I mean, you have the Snake Decides. Right? Sure, of course. I, I, like, yeah, I've got the Snake. I've, yeah. I, all those like classic the ones. Snake Decides, Six of One, or just like, Six of boom, One. Yeah, boom, those are classics. Track. I mean, my favorite. I think my favorite and the one that's been most important to me is Saxophone Solos, nineteen seventy-five. I'll show you an email. I, I wrote Evan about that. He said some really funny shit. Oh, about okay, that. yeah, 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 yeah. I'd yeah, love yeah. to see that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that that shit's like, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, Monoceros, yeah. Conic Sections. Yeah, and the Parker so, Guy Litton trio. So, so, what did we learn from Evan? Like, what's the what's the thing that's so attractive to us? I was talking about this the other night. It's like sometimes, like thinking about it's like seems like his saxophone sound has been put through a paper shredder or something. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, and he's, but it's like re- you can you can read through it. You know, it's like this chopped up thing, and it's that approach is nuts. But it, his sound just makes my spine tingle. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't really know what to say more about that but also uh i was talking about this with peter evans like and i think peter excels at this too um and bill orcutt and a couple other people whose solo music i really appreciate where it's kind of like they lay the materials on the table in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways about what they're going to be doing in a certain piece Mm -hmm. they kind of lay it out and then evan just cycles these things and changes things very like in various ways Mm -hmm. that highlight the 
either the continuity and what and and also what's come before and what's going to come after so that each subtle change really is consequential mm -hmm. and you hear it because you've been taken along in this and this ride and they have he has you captive mm -hmm. and kind of prisoner in a certain sense mm -hmm. you, you kind of can't stop the spectacle and this ball is rolling peter talks about it like a flow state you know where he's he's kind of observing this stuff when he makes these subtle changes it's not it's like it happens naturally. Mm -hmm. That shit really gets me. I mean, the same with Gertrude Stein or someone like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, so when the pieces are, when the building blocks are so clear and they're just being stacked in different ways and reversed and thrown, you know, that's something I find really compelling about those sort of cyclical aspects of Evan Parker's playing. I mean, that's been really influential to me. But yeah, I mean, also like just on a super nerdy perspective, like his articulations, um, so inspiring and mm -hmm. so different and yeah just like totally game changing in in terms of like just that just that approach i mean it's it's really heavy <laughs> yeah what do, what do you think oh it's a number of things it's 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 a huge number of things and it's like you know i've been listening to evan for 20 20 years now and i've gotten to know him and spend some time with him and yeah and he's you know it's it's more than just the playing it's a philosophical standpoint and it's uh you know for me if i had to really like put it you know succinctly it's like one like he's figured out a way <sighs> can i put it succinctly like if you if you take like like one if you take one let's say you take a snippet one minute of recorded solo music right yeah and you analyze that minute. It's yeah. like I picture it as like a line that, and if you like hit it with a stick, all this stuff is gonna fall out. There's just uh -huh. all this like all these different <laughs> materials into one, like one simple phrase. And it's really it's a guy who is working at things on a philosophical level, uh, which incorporates inquisitiveness and 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 decisiveness at the same time. And it's all based. It, it's it's articulated through a technique that he's been evolving for like fifty, sixty years. Yeah. So there's a life. There's a life approach that's attractive to me. Sure. Yeah. And when you get to know him and you talk to him and you realize that he takes things like as they come and he's got a great sense of humor about it, it's even more significant of a life approach. It's like a it's like a mandala or something where you make this incredibly intricate, beautiful thing, yeah. but you don't take it seriously. You know that the second it's gone, it's gone. It's an ephemeral thing. But yeah. and, and then, and, but then what you said, and this is maybe like the the thing that ties it all together, is that on a very like on a, on a very visceral level, you listen to it and you just say, "I just want to pay attention to this while this is happening." I'm not thinking about other yeah. things. It just this is grabbing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially seeing it live. I mean, the records. It's it's a weird question, you know, because the records have always been so consequential to me, and mm -hmm. we were just talking about that. But like. The, a couple months ago, he played duo with Ned. I was there. You, I went to the one in the village. Yeah, I went to the one in, in on Nostrand. I'm okay. happy looking number one. Yeah. fucking crazy to see Evan Parker on yeah, Nostrand yeah, yeah. Avenue. But um, uh, I used to live three blocks away from there. But um, they did the duo, and then Evan played like 15 minutes of solo soprano, and it was like, I think I still think he sounds great. I know some people who like say he's like lost it. They're wrong. Totally wrong. They're wrong. I, I'll tell you right now, yeah. the show that he did with Ned uh, a week later at the, yeah. uh, that gallery. That was the day Cecil Taylor died. The day that Cecil died. Yeah. Evan played one, maybe two, I think just one solo piece. And it was the fucking best thing I've ever heard yeah, him do. Yeah. And it was, and you know, we can't like. If he moved here and he was 25, 
he would be the best. Every you know, yeah. everyone Evan Parker at whatever. How old is he? Sixty. He's 70. 70. 71, 72. Yeah, Evan Parker at seventy one. If he were to move here now, people would be sucking his dick. I mean, he's not well, like right. I mean, Evan. You know, like I'm right now, and I'm talking about Evan in a broad term because to me, there's a lot of things with. Let me slow down. Let us not neglect the, what the biographical nature of of musicians, like the importance of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and that that's a broad thing, but really paying attention to to someone, like what their their whatever their time is. They've been doing this shit for two years. They've been doing this shit for eighty years. Yeah, yeah. you know, to be able sure. to listen to the progress of this guy and to hear him now at age seventy two, seventy three, whatever it is, after having listened to it for twenty years, it's a whole. It, it's it's a full on. No, no, I know it's a composite thing. Yeah, it's a composite right. Thing. Yeah, yeah. And, but when I heard him do that night, it was so zeroed in and refined. Yeah. Not an ounce of fat. Like yeah. ideas I've been hearing him work with for a bunch of years, I felt were just like like crystal clear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he just he just gets into it immediately. I mean, it's like there's no there's none of this like we figure it out. It's yeah. like we start the piece and we're, you're fucking in it. And like it was just captivating because I'd seen him. I'd only know that the only time no, I'd seen him twice. Um, I remember you were at the show when I saw him play a trio with Joe Morris and Nate at, um, was it the stone? No, it was at that place in Carroll gardens. Um, Oh yeah. That bar. Yeah. 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 And we yeah. both, we both, uh, remember why you, I remember you were there. It was cause we both were like, we had really had to take a piss the whole time. Oh, yeah. And we like, we saw, we were like outside the bathroom yeah. and we we're like, Oh man, that piss had to ruin it. <laughs> kind of ruined it. But that was sick. That, and yeah. then I saw him play duo with Milford at the stone. Yeah. Um, that was cool. That was that was really. Yeah, cool. yeah, I think yeah. that was the first time they played. Yeah, um, that was pretty deep. But the solo. I mean, I'm I'm happy if, even if I never see him play again that I didn't get to see him play solo soprano. I mean, yeah, that's that's awesome. To me, I'm gonna I, be in London. I might drop him a line. You should. Yeah, you're gonna be playing there. Yeah, with what, Steve where? Noble and John Edwards at uh, like a session, and then uh, playing with duo with Alex Ward. But yeah. you're doing a gig with with Noble and. No, I'm gonna play uh, just in the afternoon at the Project Space uh-huh. Auto, uh, Cafe Auto Project Space. And then you're playing a gig with Alex Ward. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm the the next night is a little up in the air. I'm doing this whole solo tour. And, what know, is it? Uh, it's kind of a torcation. I've never been to uh-huh. Europe. Um, I'm, in your life? In my life, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm going to London, and I'm going to Amsterdam, and there's a gig that's sort of in the works with uh, Di- John Dykeman and those guys. Okay. And, and then I'm going to Essen, Germany, uh-huh. and then Dusseldorf or, or Wuppertal. Uh-huh. The home of uh, Peter Kowald and Peter Brotsman. Yeah. And, uh, and then Cologne, and then I have a gig in Bonn. And then I have a gig in Leipzig. These are all solo gigs. Yeah, the the shit in West Germany is like solos and maybe and some solo solo duo things. And uh-huh. then um, Leipzig, I'm playing solo, and then I'm playing trio with a bassist and a drummer out there. And, uh, and then three shows in Berlin. One is confirmed with Nicola Hein, the guitar uh-huh. player, and maybe some other people. And then you know, gonna hit up. When is this? In January, Jan- early January. Yeah, yeah. And where's the gig with Alex Ward? Boat Ting, which actually seems like I looked it up last night. Um, it uh, it seems like it's I don't really know if it's on a boat or it's near the water or something, but it seems like all these people have you know I watched some videos last in night in London, in London, yeah, 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 of you know Noble and Edwards playing uh, with Lowell Coxill and uh, you know all these sorts of all these London people. Um, 
Yeah, it's going to be sick. I'm really excited. You're going to have a blast. Yeah. It's going to be you out there by yourself navigating the train systems and everything. Yeah. You're going to have a blast. The train thing is the thing I'm maybe most worried about, but like most- You got nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah. I In don't... the age of iPhones and yeah, yeah, things exactly. telling you how to get where you need to go, you got nothing to worry about. Yeah, and then in all these places, I'm going to have people to stay with who, who's putting, who are putting on the shows. And, and so it's, it's going to be sick. I'm, I'm really- I'm really You're going to come back addicted to touring. Yeah, I've done a lot of touring in the U.S., um, but it's it's not the same, and and I and I, I mean I, I will hopefully want to do this to, to like be able to bring my bands over sure. eventually, um, or like. But even like the the like homespun, like house shows that happen in Europe are infinitely more. Um, what's the word? Just hooked up, you know. People yeah. Really take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so I'm stoked. Yeah, and I'm I'm stoked to play solo saxophone for for a lot of shows, which I don't really you got get a full chance. set in you. Yeah, I've done I've done full sets in the yeah, past, yeah, yeah. and I, I have some material. Like I put out a solo saxophone tape. I should have brought some tapes over. Fuck, um, but uh, of of solo saxophone stuff and writing some pieces or just thinking about zones and structures and. But yeah, I mean, I I think it'll get better. That's also that, the, well, that's what yeah, 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 exactly. Honestly, that's what twenty four. Totally, like, yeah. If you. When you play, when I played at your house over the summer, I knew that it wasn't going to be a good show. I kind of I had a tour coming up the next week, and right? I, and I just wanted to try a couple of things out mm-hmm. locally before I got in a car. Yeah, and yeah, each show got better and better and better. Totally. And of course, like the last night of tour is always like, "Fuck, man, I could do this for another, you know, three yeah. weeks or whatever." Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm really psyched. I mean, it was just kind of I had the idea, and and I and then people were really nice. I mean, people were really receptive and nice, and, yeah. and some people. You know, like everyone accumulates these people on Facebook who who friend request you and things like uh-huh. from. I'm sure you get this. All I stopped re- accepting all friend requests. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I kind of view it. I un, I like unfollow a lot of people I don't uh-huh. know, but I I view it kind of view it as a net positive that if people have heard of me to begin yeah, with, and right. like yeah, yeah, yeah. and like if I am posting about a record, like maybe these people would actually buy it. Like I'm like all right. my friends, you know, like no, no, uh, yeah, my right. actual friends. But but it turns out some of these people have actually been really useful like it they live in other countries and then it's Dude, like no I'm... no facebook people it's so easy especially now like in 2018 to talk shit about facebook based on like you know who our president is and and everything else but facebook similar to myspace before it is yeah. an incredible tool yeah for meeting people and if you're up for it if you have the time and the the, the bandwidth like engaging with people yeah it especially like on a as you see fit basis, you know. Yeah, well, no, I mean, people. I've I've met some people on Facebook who pretty quickly got pretty like nasty and aggressive with me. And oh, really? I was, I was very quick to like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, I don't need this in my life. Totally. Yeah, like person I'll never meet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the internet is still alive and well in like how many sick fucks there are out there just waiting to say terrible things to you. Yeah, man, it's weird. It's like the 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 f- free improv like. I'm not hating, you know, by the way, necessarily, but it is weird that there are a contingent of people where it's like, I've talked to my friends, it's like, oh, you got a, you got a friend request from X, Y, and Z, like, I, who the fuck is that? Like, yeah, yeah, they yeah. won't stop, like, being, following my shit and whatever. You know um, what, man, if people dig what you're doing, like, it's, that's, just, just love it. Exactly, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Ultimately, it's like, I think it's, it's crazy that people in South America even know who I am. My like, friend called me out a few, this is like 10 years ago already, but like I was getting these emails from this guy who like he just wouldn't stop. And he's clearly, you know, like unmedicated and he, you know, 
And I was complaining to my friend about it. And he was like, dude, have you listened to your own music? He's like, the <laughs> fact that strange men who are lonely are like attracted to it is A, not surprising, but B, like you need to honor them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, it's it's, and it's like we were talking about earlier. It's like, it, it does break up this kind of echo chamber where it's like, oh, okay, somehow like some of this stuff is seeping out of like the four person audience that I'm playing to on a yeah. Tuesday in Bushwick. It's like, you're going to have such a good time in Europe. Yeah. I think it's, I think I'm so, I'm, I'm no, I know I'm stoked. I think it's going to be good. Um, I'm a, yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous about like flying with the saxophone so much. Cause I've only done that domestically, but that's, you'll be fine. That's the only, you'll be thing. fine. You'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. yeah I and think, you just bring in the one horn. Yeah. Just the tenor. Um, and I've got a pretty compact case, but I think I'm happy enough. Like I'm really happy with my playing at this point and happy enough. And, uh, excited to just like, yeah, go to these different places and meet new people. Yeah. Spread the gospel. <laughs> well, this was a good talk, dude. Thanks right, for coming thanks. over. Yeah, thank you. All right, that was Sam Weinberg. Saxophonist Sam Weinberg. Hope you guys dug that. He's a good dude. Check him out. Go to samweinbergsax.wordpress.com. It's a, it's a long URL. Uh, check him out. He's busy. He's going to be on tour, as he said, in Europe uh, very soon. So if you're if you're over there, check in with him. Go to the 5049 website. Check out some merch. And, uh, and that's it. Hope you guys are doing well. Talk to you next week. Bye.